Give it up for Mr. Joe Long. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for being here tonight. As Tyler said, if we haven't met already, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Vineyard Covington. And it is so great to see you. I'm so happy you're here. This is one of the things that we practice at Isaiah House. We have these signs that say, happy you're here. And we go up to people, we go, we can't believe it, you're here, you made it. And they're always like, and after a minute, they just start cracking up, and it's great. Hey, that's not what I'm talking about, but I love that. Um, over the past few months, we've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God. This is a massive topic. We've been talking about how it breaks into the here and now, what it actually is, and how we're living in the tension between the already and the not yet. The kingdom shows up in intense moments, but it's not always showing up. Today I'm gonna to continue to talk about that theme, and I'm gonna talk about justice today in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna talk about racial reconciliation in the kingdom of God. You know, one of those real lighthearted topics. So you came on a great, great night, guys. But I just wanna say, like, first and foremost, like, I'm not really specially equipped to have this talk with you. Especially as a white dude, I tell myself, you shouldn't be the one saying anything about this, you know? Can we get a person of color to step in? But I know that I can bring something important to you through what I've learned and through what I think the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. This is such an important topic, and really all the things that we talk about together on these worship nights are just better ways to get to know who we are as a church. And this is who we are. We care about justice. We care about reconciliation. So we're gonna talk about it today. Again, this is not something we're gonna be able to get into the weeds deeply. There's just so much here, so much here. And we can't do like eight week series because we meet once a month, right? So that makes it a little tricky. But here's what I do wanna do. I want us to take a look at this in this way. So we're going to, uh, actually I'll get to that in a second. First I wanna tell you something I believe. I believe the church should be a force for reconciliation in the world. Not seeking to justify our rights, our freedoms, and our privileges, but rather looking to give those things up if it can achieve peace. We want peace. But when we talk about the church, there's some things that we have to wrestle with if we want to really be honest. We don't have a perfect track record here. Some might say we've got a kind of poor track record. According to a uh, Barna study from just a few years ago, 56% of white evangelicals believe that people of color are put at a social disadvantage as a result of their race. 56% believe that to be true. However, same study said that 94% of those people agree with this statement. Churches play an important role in racial reconciliation. Those two things don't line up too well, do they? We've got to wrestle with that stuff. Because basically what it's saying is, is evangelicals that are white are the least likely demographic to believe racism is a problem in our society, but they're also the most likely demographic to say the church needs to take hold of it and help fix it. We've got to wrestle with this stuff if we want to learn. 
And I can't speak for all churches, but I know that our church wants to be a church of reconcilers. And the way I want to define that today is just that being a reconciler is a peacemaker. This is what we want to be. We want to be peacemakers in the kingdom. And when I think about this topic of racial reconciliation in the kingdom, I think it ties in really perfectly. Because the kingdom and our king are all about reconciling things back to the way that they were intended to be. Right? When the kingdom comes, everything gets reconciled to its original design. And that includes this topic. We want to be just like Jesus, reconcilers. And the upside-down kingdom is something we talk about. If you think about the kingdoms of the world, the kingdom of God is the opposite. We put the peacemakers on the front line of the war. We put the worshipers up front to lead the charge into battle. I want to uh, define racial reconciliation. It's going to come up on our screen. Can you believe it? We've got slides. I know. I know. They said it couldn't be done. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, who's an author and a great teacher on the subject, says reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. just want that to sink in. That's a good one. I love that she says it's a spiritual process. I love that she mentions forgiveness, repentance, and justice. And I love that she says that these things get restored relationally and systemically. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want us to listen culturally and then respond spiritually or biblically to this topic. So we're going to take some time listening, and then we're going to take some time figuring out how to form a good response to this really difficult topic, but that's really, really important. So can we pray so I don't mess this up too bad? Uh, Lord, we just invite even more of your presence here. Holy Spirit, come. Just pray that you would open ears and eyes and minds and hearts to what you want to say about this. Just pray against any uh, spirit of judgment that would want to try to get a foothold here. You're not welcome here. We just ask for your reconciling peace, Lord. Amen. Should have got a bottle of water that I didn't need to open every time, shouldn't I? <laughs> I will. Okay. You ready to listen culturally? What does that even mean, to listen culturally? Well, to me, a lot of it just means that we need to be aware of what's going on around us, right? We need to be able to listen to the stories of the people around us. We need to be able to look back at our history I am the type of learner that loves to listen by gathering information. I'm Enneagram 5. If you know, you know, all right? Information junkie right here. So I love statistics, and I love documentaries, and I love books probably more than all that. 
And so there's a lot out there that we can learn from these sources. We can listen and gain a lot of knowledge on this subject matter through those sources. And another way that we can listen is to really look deep into the history of our nation. I'm only going to be able to skim the surface on this. I'm going to keep saying that. I, I got a feeling. But I want you to remember something, because I'm going to hit a couple of hard historical events really quickly. They're not going to get enough time here, but I want you to hear it. I want you to listen culturally to these things. And here's what this isn't. This is not to generate pity for our black and brown brothers and sisters. This is not to generate guilt for white folks like me. It's to inspire deep lament for the generational sins that continue to haunt our country to this day. And I didn't know a lot of this stuff, if I'm being real honest. Like, a lot of the things that took place in our country, I did not even know about. In um, 1873, 150 black men were shot and executed while trying to defend their rights to vote at a county courthouse. It was on Easter. In June of 1921, there was a raid on what was called Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that resulted in the deaths of hundreds of men and women and children. I don't know if you ever heard of this practice of redlining that happened in our country, but really quickly what it was is that in 1934, the FHA was set up for good reasons. The purpose was to ensure mortgages to help people that were affected by the Great Depression. Help them buy homes. However, they color-coded and rated neighborhoods to determine who was worthy of receiving a loan and who wasn't. White neighborhoods scored A ratings and were colored green. Black neighborhoods were scored D ratings and were colored red. And from 1934 to 1968, 98% of the home loans, I told you I like stats, were exclusively given to white families. In other words, the single greatest redistribution of wealth in our country excluded black Americans almost entirely. I don't know about you, but this is a way that my family built wealth over time, buying and selling homes. It's still a great way to build wealth. And finally, I just want to really briefly mention our criminal justice system, which has some issues. I mean, let's be honest, we know this. Black people are disproportionately stopped by police, arrested and unlikely to make bail. They receive disproportionately higher sentences and are less likely to receive parole. Pew Research says 33% of the people sentenced to prison are black, even though black people make up about 12% of our adult population. And our country has the largest incarceration rate in the world. These things are the opposite of justice to me. In some ways, they're pure evil. And as followers of Jesus, we need to stand in opposition to these things, leaving room for mercy and reconciliation. And this is only a really, really brief overview. I know it still felt heavy. It felt heavy for me to read. But we really need to understand our history in order to enter into that lament. 
that so many people of color have lived in their entire lives to understand and to reconcile. So we can listen through research and history. We can also listen, and this might be the best way to listen, through relationships. And what does that look like? Well, it simply, in, in many ways, just looks like spending time with people that look different than you. I don't know about you, but last year when um, things were going crazy after the killing of George Floyd, um, I was able to have some really valuable conversations with people of color in my life. And I got to hear some of their experiences of growing up black in America. And it wasn't the same as my experience. It was different. Sometimes it was heartbreaking. And I was ashamed that it even took me that long to have some of those conversations, if I'm being honest with you. But listening and learning through relationship not only brings that lament, but it brings compassion. We have compassion for our brothers and sisters and what they've gone through to meet them there and work towards change. One other note about listening that I think is important. Most of the black and brown people in my life have a strong belief that racism is more than just a heart issue, but that it's an issue that's systemic. And after kind of doing some of my own research and listening and learning, I agree with them. One of the best ways I can explain that is, is that even though racism is definitely a sin in hearts, we can all agree on that. When people that have that sin in their heart get into positions of power, they influence structures and systems and laws. And it's gotten into our soil, folks. It's gotten into our soil. And there are things that have improved big time. And I want to say... <laughs> Things are not the same now as they were during civil rights, but there's a lot of work to do. All right. I know it's heavy. Thanks for sticking with me on this. Now, let's, what, is, what does the Bible say? You know, I was going to get to this. This is where we really want to start going on the upward trajectory here in the talk, Okay. We want to um, recognize that justice is rooted in God's character and in his creation. It's who he is. I'm going to rattle off some scriptures here because there's so many, so I'm just going to kind of go really quick. Here's one, Deuteronomy 32, 4. It says, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Psalm 11 says the Lord is righteous and he loves justice. Psalm 146 says the maker of heaven and earth upholds the cause of the oppressed and loves righteousness. Isaiah 5 says the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. And Psalm 10 talks about how God's character includes a zeal for justice that leads him to love tenderly those that are socially oppressed. This is who God is. And what about Jesus? I mean, he's God with skin on. He walked the earth and was the best representation in a human body of what God is, right? 
Well, I love what Jesus does in multiple stories here, but I just want to mention a few really quick. Mark 12 is such an awesome passage. You guys know the story. It's when there's a scribe and he's asking Jesus, like, what's the greatest commandment? You know, tell me what's the best one and what's number one if you had to pick one. And Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the parts of this Mark 12 passage that I never really looked at was that the scribe says to Jesus, oh, that's right, I'm, I'm in for that, yeah. And Jesus looks at him and says, the kingdom has come near to you. See, when we understand the greatest commandment, the love commandment, where Jesus takes two Old Testament passages and unites them with love, then the kingdom comes near to us. But of course, you know, there's another story where someone says, but who's my neighbor? Like, I, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor myself, but who even is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into the Good Samaritan story, right? He says, by the way, you know who your neighbor is? The person that you least thought would be. The person most different from you. <laughs> That's who your neighbor is. And they're the hero of this story that I'm about to tell. And I also love the woman at the well story because in this story where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, he crosses racial boundaries to love on her, to read her mail, and to help her understand that he was the Messiah. He was the first person outside of the disciples that he revealed that to, a Samaritan woman. Socially, that was not how you start things. But that's what Jesus did. And you know what result? The result was not only that she experienced salvation, but her whole town did. I love how reconciliation and crossing boundary lines leads to evangelism. But we got to remember something, y'all, or at least I do. Information is not transformation, right? I know I hit you with a bunch of information just now, <laughs> okay? We listen culturally. We're finding out what the Bible says about this important issue. But information is not transformation. So what do we do, man? Like, what, what do we do with all this? How do we transform our hearts and minds with a kingdom mindset. This is the hardest part for me. It's easy for me to sit in my info and be like, well, I know more about this now, but I'm just gonna keep living life the way I've been living it and not actually do anything. And we can follow that kingdom mandate in Jesus's example at the very least. I have a, a few more action-oriented steps that I want us to consider here as we get closer to the end, I promise. And I want us to do it through the lens of another epic verse, Micah 6, 8. You know I was going to say it on this subject, right? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. I bet most, if not all of you, have heard that one before. And I love the action-oriented do justice. Not learn about it. Do it. So friends, how can we step into doing justice together? 
<clears throat> well, there's a lot of ways, but I'm going to hit on three, okay? Thanks for staying with me. The first one is prayer. At Vineyard Covington, we want to put prayer at the center of everything that we do. And sometimes we actually do it. This is our heart, is to put prayer at the center of everything that we do. And this prayer includes repentance. It includes lament. It includes crying out for justice when things are unjust around us. I got a really great, great quote that uh, Charlene is going to put on the screen here. Rich Velotis is an amazing pastor in New York. We gave away one of his books, I think, a couple of months ago. It's called The Deeply Formed Life. Quote says this, a deep life with God is required when engaging the powers of racial hostility. Because in our work to dismantle this power, we can be prone to using tactics that conform to the destructive ways of this world. A person working for racial justice and reconciliation without deep spirituality of prayer is missing an important part of the healing process. My paraphrase is basically this. We can't live deeply with people unless we're living deeply with our God. It can't just be one or the other. It has to be both. And our prayer life is one of the best representations of that. When we sit with him, we ask him to break our hearts for what breaks his. We can't go out into the streets with the ways of the world in mind to try to take on racial hostility with an empty tank. It's not going to work out, y'all. It's just not. It might for a minute, but you will burn out. So we need to step into this and do justice, starting with prayer. I have sat in prayer rooms with people of color over the past year and heard their hearts through prayers. We share our hearts with each other when we pray together. There are things that they know about me and my family we've never met in, in person, but we've shared our hearts through prayer. Number two, relational hospitality that pushes away fear. You see, the opposite of fear is actually hospitality. I don't know if you knew that. Because when we spend time with people that we're afraid of, we get to know them and realize they're not that different from us at all. Our friend Jessie's gonna share for a few minutes on this subject, if she's ready. So I started feeling called to racial justice in about 2015. I was just rocking my baby to sleep, and the Holy Spirit just fell on me out of nowhere. And I just was overcome with grief and lament and just crying and crying and crying. And I was like, what, God, are you doing? I don't, I just like my heart was broken for um, specifically black mothers and the stuff going on in the news at the time was a lot of um, police shootings. And um, so I left that like, God, what do you, I'm a white lady surrounded by white people. Like, what am I supposed to do? What can I possibly do? Um, and the main thing that I felt the Lord was putting on my heart was um, to start seeking out diversity and to repent for not seeking out those types of relationships. And so I walked away from that encounter. A few years later, um, I heard of a program through Crossroads called Undivided. Now it's its own nonprofit, and I got involved with them. It's a faith-based organization 
We facilitate um, authentic conversations in diverse settings about race. And um, I've met so many wonderful people through that. One of the conversations from that experience um, was with two African-American men, and we were talking about the church. And my heart is like, let's bring diversity here. Like, I want to bring my black friends to my white church and add diversity here. But what they have told me is basically, I don't feel safe in a predominantly white church because a lot of people don't understand the discrimination. They don't understand their story. They don't agree with it. They don't believe it happened. And so they don't feel safe coming to my church. So um, I walked away from that with this like feeling of like I described as fire in my bones. I was like so pumped. Like I feel like God's telling me like go to them. So um, I've been <laughs> trying to get my body on Sunday mornings since we're not meeting on Sundays um, into historically black churches in Covington. A few weeks ago, I checked out a church called Lane Chapel, if you've heard of it. Um, it's over by Carnegie. If anybody wants to join me, I'm going to start going. Uh, I went a few weeks ago. They have this keyboard player. She's 91, named Helen, and she's amazing. <laughs> so if anyone wants to join me, um, it's great. Uh, they would love to have us. Um, the main things, though, that I've learned about pursuing diversity and pursuing these relationships is... Um, you have to be authentic. Nobody wants to be a token. Nobody wants to be a project. And so if you're going into it like, I need diversity so that I can say I have doo, 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 this many black friends, like nobody wants that. <laughs> like nobody wants you to be able to prove that you're not racist because you're friends with them. Um, you have to be authentic and you have to be humble. You can't go into it and like you're gonna offend people and they're gonna offend you. And if you can't just come in humbly and be like, I'm really sorry I said that, I, or I'm really sorry I had this preconceived notion or this perception that was wrong, and then you learn from it and move forward, um, it just doesn't really work and it doesn't create a safe place for us to add diversity. Um, but what I'm getting from it is um, this, I, I see it as like the kingdom of God and scripture is like a diamond and it's multifaceted. And when we look at it just from one perspective, we miss all the beautiful facets that are on all the other sides. And so what I'm trying to do in this is um, expand my perspective so that I can look at the gospel from all the different angles and get the whole gospel and get the wholeness of Jesus. What's that? Yes, it's on Lynn Street. Come with me. <laughs> and if anybody wants to have a further conversation, I love having awkward conversations about race. And so <laughs> just talk to me later. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesse. I love having those conversations too. And thank you for sharing that. Relationship is a big, big deal. But to Jesse's point, we have to have a humble posture get outside of our comfort zones if we really want to see it work. That might not be where you're at today, and that's okay, but it is possible. <laughs> and you don't have to do it alone. You can come with us. Here's the third way that I want us to consider doing justice, and then we'll be wrapping up. Matthew 5 is maybe the best sermon ever. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus 
talks about so many things. I wanna highlight verse six, which simply says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. How do we hunger and thirst for justice? That sounds pretty intense. I got one more quote to put on the screen. This one is the meatiest yet, also the longest. I don't even know if it fits on the screen. Uh, there's an awesome book that I highly recommend. It's called Reading While Black. Esau Macaulay wrote it. He's an Anglican minister and an amazing man from what I can tell. He says, hungering and thirsting for justice is nothing less than the continued longing for God to come and set things right. It is a vision of the just society established by God that does not waver in the face of evidence to the contrary. We have a vision for something different. Justice is that difference. Jesus calls for a reconfiguration of the imagination in which we realize that the options presented to us by the world are not all that there is. This is the difference when we respond spiritually and biblically. We don't take all the options of the world and run with them. We've got different options. There remains a better way, and that better way is the kingdom. He wants us to see that his kingdom is something that's possible, at least as a foretaste, even while we wait for its consummation. Remember how we talked about the already and the not yet? Living in the tension between when things happen and sometimes when things don't. To hunger and for justice is to hope that the things that cause us to mourn do not get the last word. And that's what I'm clinging to, friends. I'm clinging to that hope that the things in this broken world don't get the last word. There's a better way. The better way is the kingdom. When we listen culturally and respond spiritually and biblically with a humble posture and a willingness to step into the fight, things change in our city. I want us to be playing an important role in overturning systemic racism in Covington and beyond. But let's start here. We love our neighbors well when we take this approach. So I just want to uh, invite our worship team back up now. We're going to uh, step into a time of communion next. And I think that this is actually a good transition for what we've been talking about here. So when we come to the communion table together, we're offered an opportunity to be cleansed brand new because of Jesus's ultimate sacrifice. He laid down his life for you and for me. And communion is part of that reminder. We take the bread, his body. We take the juice, his blood. And we're washed clean. By his stripes, we are healed. So maybe this issue isn't hitting you in any sort of way. That's okay. Communion's still good. But especially if it is, it's a good time to just be like, ah, I haven't gotten this right in the past very well. <laughs> Wash me clean, Jesus, because he'll do it over and over and over again. So I